0: I want to preface this by saying that this is not a political discussion. Okay? That we're not even going there, that's not even on the table, okay? But what this is is going to be about how as followers of Christ we respond in today's time and in today's world. I want to and our our text is going to be Matthew chapter 9. And for those of you who were in the venue last week or who have already been in the chapel this Sunday, it's a very similar passage of Scripture to what Matt preached on in Luke chapter 8. But we're going to take a little bit different twist. Some of what you hear may be the same, but it's going to be a little bit different twist. But I want to start with a story that happened here in our church about four or five months ago, I was down in the atrium working the next step desk, recruiting people to be a part of the centered class and telling them how they can get involved in Bible studies. A couple of weeks before, we had been invited by the Daily Oklahoman to serve as a host for a conversation, a conversation among the faith community about how people how the faith community can assist people who have loved ones dealing with mental issues. So we had people from different Christian denominations, even non-Christian faiths coming here just so we could talk about how can the faith community support those who have family members who are struggling with mental illness. And the announcement in the worship folder talked about that and mentioned that there would be you know, other denominations, Muslims, Jews here talking about this. Well, someone came to the desk, opened his worship folder up, pointed to the word Muslim in that announcement said, why are we letting them in our church? Don't you know that they train their children to kill us? How can we let them in our church? And I said, well, you know, even though they don't believe like we do, God still made them. And the way that I read my Bible, because God made them, they matter to God. And because they matter to God, they should matter to us as well. And the comment was made, well, you just make sure that you don't turn your back on them when they're in our church. And I'm just like, well, I'm glad they're coming. And the gentleman walked off talking about how he couldn't believe the church would hire somebody like me. And even though I was just standing there, not my meeting. But believe me, there are days Marty has the same question why did they hire someone like me? Um, but in Matthew chapter 9, and, and that story is the the elements of that story, the reactions, the emotions is a lot about what we're going to talk about today but there in Matthew 9 we find Jesus in Galilee Uh, at the end of chapter 8 he had just calmed the storm, he had just cast the demons out of the two men and put them into the herd of pigs which for you trivia buffs first mention of deviled ham in history (laughs) Um, that's that's the only one you get So, um, he heals the paralytic and gets chastised by the religious leaders because healing illness was viewed as also not just a physical condition but a spiritual condition if you had sin in your life then you God made you sick as a punishment And so there was a confrontation, tension between Jesus and the religious leaders because they were like, well, how can you say this? And he's like, well, which is easier, say you're wetter, you're well, you're healed, or to say your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus calls Matthew a tax collector. And then Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And then he's asked about why his disciples don't fast. And he's like, well, they're with me. You don't fast at a wedding, you celebrate. So that's why they don't fast. And then we have the issue of Jairus' daughter. And then the woman with the issue of bleeding. And then Jesus heals the blind and the mute. And then we get to the end of chapter 9, verse 35. And so after all this tension, after all these encounters, after all the... uh, Resistance that Christ had met. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Sound like any world you know of? Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We can read the newspaper, we can watch the cable news channel of your choice, we can get on social media, and we can understand very quickly that the people are still helpless and scattered, not just here. But around the world. Look at ISIS, Supreme Court decisions, the general state of our nation, the recent news about Planned Parenthood and what they're doing. I mean, just look around. So then the question for us as followers of Christ becomes when we view current events, viewed through the lens of Scripture, what are we to make of current events? And the first thing, and it's there on your note page, is that although time has passed, times really haven't changed. The harvest is still plentiful. And sometimes it's hard for us to get past the bad news. But that's why I call this Every Cloud Has a Silver Lining. Because we still have a job to do there are still people who need to hear about Christ. And we can sit and put our head in our hands and say, oh, this is terrible, or we can be about the business that God called us to be about. Because, see, at their core, the teachings of Jesus were and continue to be countercultural. All You go all the way back to the Old Testament when God gave the Ten Commandments... He gave His people the Ten Commandments so that they would live differently than every other nation around them. He wanted them to be set apart. He wanted them to stand out. And that's the same way that we live as Christians today. We're supposed to stand out. We're not supposed to blend in and look like everybody else. The teachings of Jesus at his time were considered radical. Well, just think about how the teachings of Jesus are considered today. The teachings of Jesus pushed back against the norms of their society. And that's true for us even here at home now. regardless of what you think about your opinion, your beliefs about the founding of our nation, the reality is the world and culture that we lived in 30, 40 years ago, it's not the same. It's no longer... I mean, I remember even when I was in the third grade, okay, so that was just, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um... My job in class... Randy, you doubt? No, I don't doubt. You, you doubt? <laughs> My job was to read Scripture, read, to take the teacher's Bible and read Scripture in class every morning before class started. That's, in a public school, that's not going to happen. But it's not the purpose of the state... Or the government to proclaim Christ. That's our job. God doesn't need our nation or any nation to achieve His purposes. Christ didn't need the Roman government. Paul didn't need the Roman government. We don't need the government to do what Christ has called us to do. It's our job to proclaim Christ, not our government's. Now, when they have Christian values, that's great, but it's not their job. That's just the reality. Having a government that does not embrace the teachings of Christ or our church's values actually puts us in pretty good company, because that's what Christ and Paul and the early apostles faced also. But instead of looking to the government, Christ, and the early church, they looked to God. Because, see, Jesus knew that His message and His disciples would continually face opposition. Not just then, but throughout all of history. Some of the scriptures that are listed there, Matthew 10, 16 and 20. It's in the very next section when He sends out the disciples. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, it not say if they arrest you, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Matthew 24, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Seriously, who signs up for this? At that same time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I just love that passage because it's like, It's going to be bad. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put to death. People will hate you, but the gospel will be preached to all nations. In John chapter 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Not may have trouble, not might have trouble not possibly have trouble you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world parenthetically my personal opinion not topic for discussion cuz your opinion is probably going to be different we've been blessed to live a fairly persecution free life in the united states But what we've experienced with the freedoms here is not the experience for the vast majority of believers around the world. It's just not. Your average run-of-the-mill Christian around the world faces persecution daily. Faces loss of their job. Faces loss of their life. Faces ostracism by their family. Faces jail time because of their faith. We've been pretty insulated here. But I think that's going to change. And I'm okay with that. Because if you look through history, the gospel has spread more rapidly under persecution than at other times in history. All right, back to the lesson. John 17 Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. That's part of the job description as a follower of Christ. To go into the world and prepare to be hated by the world. So I think the sooner that we can really come to grips with that, that the world hates us as followers of Christ, there'll be a whole lot less hand-wringing on our part. Recent events, read the paper, reminds us that our enemy is unchanged. And this sometimes can be difficult because sometimes we treat the symptom as the enemy. And so if I were to ask you, you know, who are the enemies? You might Think of something like this. Muslims, Caitlyn Jenner, Planned Parenthood, (laughs) homosexuals. You know, these are some things that have been in the news lately that we think, oh, they're just, they're against us. You know, Jesus was criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners because he knew that they weren't the enemy. But sometimes we have a tendency to make people who don't view life the way we do or have the same values as us as our enemy. But that's not the enemy. Yes, same-sex marriage, I believe, is a sin. But homosexuals are not the enemy. Islam is a false religion. It's a flawed ideology. But Muslims are not the enemy. Yes, Texas Longhorns have the ugliest uniforms in history, but they are not the enemy. It's alright. Byron's back there in and back. Pick a political party. Political party's not your enemy. But why would we expect people to hold Christian values if they're not really followers of Christ anyway. I mean, people who choose to live lifestyles that are far from God, we shouldn't expect Christian behavior from them. And judging people who don't follow Jesus for behaving people who don't follow Jesus, that's like, it's like treating the symptom. It's like if I have a broken leg, The best way to cure a broken leg is to give someone some aspirin for the pain. Well, that may take care of the pain, but it's not going to heal the broken leg. So we have to really identify the enemy, and Satan is still the enemy. And sometimes we lose sight of that. We get focused on the behavior. We get focused on the law, or we get focused on whatever, and we lose Every person you see who lives life differently than we think it should be lived. Every person we encounter who has a different religious background than we do. Christ died for them too. And we have to understand that. If we look at people who are caught up in sexual trafficking, the victims of sexual trafficking, we don't look at some 15-year-old girl and say, well, I guess you shouldn't have run away from home. She's a victim. And people are victims of sin also. They are just as entrapped by sin. So what would our response to the nightly news and current events look like if we looked at people not as enemies, but as victims of Satan's lies? And why is it that our initial response typically is one of condemnation? I'm not talking about crossings or even this classroom. Well, except for Chris Helterbrand. Um, But just the North American church... Why is it that our initial response is typically one of condemnation rather than one of compassion? You know, there are a lot of people who think that Westboro Baptist Church speaks for the entire Christian world. And all they peddle is hate. Um, Shortly after the shooting in Chattanooga of the Marines at the recruiting station Uh, Franklin Graham posted something on his Facebook page that called on the United States government to ban all immigration of all Muslims period he said we are at war with Muslims at home and abroad um Now, maybe, maybe that's the right political thing to do. Maybe not. But a mutual friend of Cliff and ours, a gentleman by the name of Carl Medeiros, wrote an open letter to Franklin addressing Franklin's claims. And he, he kind of called Franklin out about it, and he said, when you say things like this, it simply increases fear. And what drives out Fear which is the work of Satan, love. Not war, not more fear, but love. Only love can drive out fear. And we cannot love someone who is Muslim, which God has commanded us to do, if we're afraid of Muslims. The two are incompatible. Consider again the way of Jesus when it comes to dealing with an enemy. Some things Jesus wasn't all that clear on, but the enemy thing, he was quite clear. He says several things. He says to love them, give to them, bless them, pray for them. And so, if we claim to be Christ followers, then our response to a lost and dying world that doesn't see things the way we do, that are even antagonistic toward what we believe, It has to follow His example. I'm not going to stand up here and sugarcoat it. That's hard. That's hard sometimes. That's hard a lot of the times. But how do we do that? First, we have to go where the people are. Jesus didn't command His disciples to stay in the temple or wait for people to come to Him. The only time He told them to wait was to wait for the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, he was sending them out. It was a sick type of theology. Go get them. And even in his own ministry, he ate with sinners. The woman with the issue of bleeding. If Jesus is not out in the crowd walking among them, she can't grab the hem of his robe. If he stays up in a room having a little holy huddle, People can't access Him. You know, Jesus tells us as His followers that we're the salt of the earth. Well, salt doesn't work if it stays in the shaker. It has to rub up against something. So we have to go where the people are. And our natural inclination, when we see When we see the world going to hell like it is, we huddle in. We stay close. We sing kumbaya and we say, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. But man, we still got work to do. The harvest is still plentiful. But there are no excuses for us. Every one of us, no matter where we go whether it's to work or to shop or to watch our kids play ball, whatever it is, we encounter people who are far from God, who need the message that we have. And you know, I... I, There's a story about Martin Luther during the Reformation. He had a very good friend who was a monk. And they made this agreement. He said, all right, Martin, you go and do the work. You preach, you teach, you do all the PR work. I'm going to stay here in my monastery, and I'm going to pray for you. All day, every day. And prayer is important. But one night, this monk had a dream, and he saw, just as far as the eye could see, was a wheat field, and there was one person harvesting the wheat. And he's saying, "Oh my gosh, this will never get done if this man has to do it alone." And so he approached the man who was harvesting, and the man turned around, and it was Martin Luther. And he's like, "I can't just pray." I have to be out in the field also. We are all called to be out in the harvest field. Wherever God places us, we're called to reap the harvest. But in doing that and going where the people are, we have to love people as they are. It's not our job to debate them into the kingdom of heaven. It's not our job. It's not our job to change their lifestyle. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But we are called to love them. And what, just, you don't have to answer out loud. Do you think Christians, especially here in the United States, are better known for how much we love or for what we're against? Mm. I'd agree with that we're probably better known for what we're against than what we're for that's why even Muslims that I know that I have conversation with they don't want anything to do with Christianity but they love to talk about Jesus they love to talk about his teachings but Christianity eh, not so much Because if you think about it, judgment is a really bad evangelism strategy. I mean, how many of you will stand in line to be judged and told what a bad person you are? But man, who won't get in line to be loved unconditionally? If the rest of the world saw us loving unconditionally, we couldn't build enough churches to hold them. Doesn't mean we agree with their lifestyle. Doesn't mean we believe what they believe. I believe it was July 4th weekend. Terry mentioned that as followers of Christ, we have joined the family business. And then he said, this is the family business, to go care about the people of this world. He used the word care because love is so overused, and he's right. But we have to care about the people of this world. And when they know that that we care about them, we care enough to share the truth with them. But when we start by taking the coffee table-sized King James Bible and beating them over the head with it, it doesn't really get through. That form of osmosis just doesn't have a great return. The next thing we have to do, we must serve people at their point of need. Sometimes that service means we meet a physical need. Sometimes it means meeting an emotional need. Sometimes it means just meeting a spiritual need. And one of the things that I love about being a part of this particular church, is how we are able to do that on so many different levels. I, I ran into a gentleman today in the atrium before I came up here. He, he went into Baptist Hospital on January 1st, and he got out five weeks ago. And we had the opportunity to walk beside this family to encourage them. And today was his first Sunday back. And I told him, I said, man, I'm so excited. I'm about to wet my pants. (laughs) Because it was just so good to see him here. Just walk alongside him, pray for him, encourage him. Because there were a couple of times we almost lost him. But God was faithful. I had an opportunity to, to perform a funeral about six weeks ago for a lady who was a member here. But her extended family, her even her own kids, didn't really have a relationship with Christ. In fact, her daughter is an atheist. Her son's kind of agnostic. But experiencing unconditional love, experiencing a church family who would come alongside that family and say, you know what? We love you. We're here for you. It made a difference to them. They told me, they said, Michael, you crossings folks are unlike any Christians we've ever encountered before. Happy for us, but sad for every other Christian that they encountered. So, just want to, you said that's five minutes fast. And well, you're going to get out early today. But I want to leave you with this thought. In your daily routine, places you go, the people you meet, What is keeping you from reaping the harvest? What do you have to do differently? And for some of us, that may be quite a change. To join God in the work He's already accomplishing. I mean, do we really see people as Jesus sees them? Jesus came down and said that He had compassion on them. do we really see people through the eyes of Jesus? And if not, what's it going to take? Because as as I just told the folks in the chapel, it's our job to share the good news. That's the plan. It's the only plan. And so if we get hung up on pick your sin and say well they don't live like I do so I'm not going to go near them I'm not going to how are they going to hear how are they going to experience unless we love them and unless we share with them how much God loves them so even in light of all the doom and gloom that we read that we hear We still win. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And even in the middle of this dark and dying world, we still have a job to do with those who don't agree with us, with those who even might be motivated to kill us. There is no one that we will encounter that is beyond the reach of God's love. And we have to understand that. And like I said before, things may get worse. I fully expect them to. But that's, that's okay. My job doesn't change. I'm still supposed to love and share Christ. And as long as folks in the church keep getting sick, I still have a job to do. I'll come visit you in the hospital. I'm just curious, how many of you have I visited in the hospital? Pretty good. Thank you for keeping me employed. It wasn't our pleasure. Yeah, for some of you, it's like, some of you I didn't recognize you because I've never seen you with your clothes on before. but, But think about that. Wherever you go, It's a harvest field. And what are you going to do to join in reaping it? Let me pray for us before we leave. Heavenly Father, Lord, not only have you given us a job to do, but Lord, you've equipped us to do it. We have the message. We have the people who are around us who need to hear that message. So Lord, now I just pray that you would embolden each of us that we would be willing to share the message. Lord, that you would burden us for people who are far from you. Lord, I ask that you and everyone in this classroom and in my own life, I pray that you would burden us with the names of people that we know who are far from you. And that we would not be able to get a good night's sleep until we shared what we know with them when we take the time to love them unconditionally. Lord, I pray that You would stretch us out of our comfort zone, out of our little safety cocoons to go to people who aren't like us, to go to people who believe differently than us, to go to people who dress differently than us, even to go to people who smell differently than us, and to just let them know how much... God loves them, and because you love them, how much we love them also. Bless our hands and feet, Lord. Quicken them, empower them, strengthen them so that all the nations may hear. In Jesus' name, Amen.